Welcome to PB&J Connection. This will not be televised podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I'm PB. And I'm Jay. Our health-related discussions will convey educational information about medical research, studies, facts, findings, and experiences of people from every walk of life. Concepts will be simple and easy to understand. We've got you covered. And we promise to not be boring. So let's dive into the world of health you won't find on your television. Hello, listeners. Welcome to PBJ Connections. Thank you for being here again. It is me, PB, and... Jay. And we're here to talk about some things that you may not even consider. Uh, They're myths, you know, things that we can debunk uh, today. But first, before we get started on our discussion, Jay, let's do the trivia question. So the trivia question today is, what is the heaviest organ in the body? The heaviest organ. That'll be interesting, Pam. Yes. So, listeners, you will find out the answer at the end of this podcast. So, Jay, let's talk about some myths. You know, it was funny. Somebody brought up a myth today uh, in our earlier conversation I was having this morning, and they were talking about, you know, how Catholics, and I don't think it's just Catholics, Catholics believe that if you put your purse on the floor, you'll end up losing your money or your money will decrease, <laughs> you know? Well, but, the thing is, it, but it's true because, you know what, it's the same thing my mom told me years ago. No. Never, yes, never put your money on the floor because your money will decrease. Now, whether it's true, there is no research, there's no magic, there's no, there's nothing that's associated with it, but... To this day, you will never see me put my purse on the floor. I got to tell you, I put my purse on the floor all the time. And, <laughs> and it's never decreased your money, right? Well, if I had money, maybe that would, <laughs> if I had money in my purse. But I, I typically don't have any money in my purse for it to either increase or decrease. So. Yeah, it's very, very true. And, but, I, and I have no evidence that it's true or not right. true. Right. But it's, it's things that have been built into us, either by society, our culture. Old you know, wives' parents, tales. Old wives' tales. Yeah. Things that we believe <laughs> to be true because somebody said it was. And then you hear other people saying the same thing. So it's like that, that programming that we get. So today we're going to kind of debunk some of these myths about, uh, I'll start talking about water. Um, and, and eggs and, and cracking of the knuckles, you know, they all have some myths to it. So let's talk about water. You know, everybody, you know, is talking about you're supposed to drink eight hours, eight ounces of water a day. Well, is that really true? So what? What eight I ounce, did was I went, eight ounces or eight glasses? They, I'm sorry, eight glasses. Okay, I just want to make sure because I like oh, I I drink more than eight ounces. Right. <laughs> so do I. Okay. Thank you for clarifying right. that. That's that's Thanks. true. It's eight glasses of water a day. How big are the glasses? Right. I'm sorry. I'm just being. Yeah, I'm being it's, supposed a pill. Be, it's supposed to be eight times eight. Right? Okay, so eight so ounces and one ounces glass is eight ounces. Ounces. Yeah. Okay. Eight times. Eight times. Right. So throughout the day, but. The research shows differently. Harvard published an article back in May 2023, and of course they gave all the benefits of water, and 
And I'm sure our listeners know, you know, it, it actually aids in our digestion. It flushes bacteria from our body. You know, it also is, is a great way to cushion your joints um, because your body needs that, that water. It protects our organs. It maintains electrolyte balance, and, which is sodium, in, in the body, as well as it carries nutrients um, and oxygen to the cells. So water does have a lot of benefits. But really, how much water daily do we need? So this Harvard article, yeah, and this is from 2023, they said the average daily amount for men is 15.5 cups, cups, which is eight ounces, right? Right. And for women, it's 11.5 cups. But here it is. This may not mean that you have to do eight or seven or six or four to get those ounces because there's water in foods, right? We have, and we also drink coffee and tea and juice and, you know, there's water and fruits and there's water and vegetables. So Soup, soup's water, right? I mean... Soup, is, yes, yeah. soup is water-based. Yeah. And so people don't think about, you know, other sources other than natural water, you know, they're not thinking about the other water. So you have to ask yourself, okay, if that's the case, then is it possible, I have to ask myself a question, is it possible to drink too much water, okay? And believe it or not, yes, it is possible to, to take in too much water if you have certain health conditions. So like thyroid disease or kidney liver, you know, you have problems with kidneys or, or heart problems. Or if you have or taking medications like diuretics that would make you actually lose the amount of water in the system. So it really depends. And, and like I said, there is no one rule that fits everybody. So you have to also take in, in consideration if you're physically active, your, your physical activity is that you're, you know, you start to become dehydrated, say like from exercising. Yes, definitely increase the amount of water you're taking because not only do you need to replace the water, but you also need to replace any sodium loss in the body. And then you have to think about temperatures. I mean, we've been having crazy, crazy, crazy temperatures. Like tomorrow is supposed to be like 94, you know. And in my area, we're, it's not really common to have a lot of humidity. But oh my God, I guess because of global warming, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just going to make this assumption that we have more humidity than, than we've ever had in, in this area, in this region of the country. And so you have to think about that. It depends on where you live, the temperatures, you know, if you, if the temperatures start soaring and you become, you know, you're going to become thirsty faster. You know, you're going to end up wanting to have more water. Um, and so you don't, the only way you can tell is you're becoming dehydrated. I mean, to the point, like my dad, he ended up two years ago. I want to say two years ago. No, it's actually been about three years ago. Three years ago, he was dehydrated. 
and he calls me on the phone. And he's not, we're not living in the same city. And it's like a five hour drive apart from each other. <laughs> and he calls me on the phone and he says, Pam, I can't move. And I was like, what do you mean you can't move? He says, I cannot move. And I said, well, dad, what's wrong? I said, do you want me to call the ambulance? And he was like, no, I need you to come here. And so I'm thinking, <laughs> right. For five hours, he's not going to move and wait for you to come there. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. said, Dad, the only way I can get there fast enough, and this was the funny part, fast enough is if I fly. And you know what he said to me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when can you be here? <laughs> right. Okay, what flight you on? Right. <laughs> Tell me your flight. Tell time. me when you when, when your plane lands. When, when you're right. landing. Right. And I was like, Dad, this is not going to work. So fortunately, I called my brother, um, which he was in the area at the time, and I called him and I, I said, Dad's been trying to get you because my dad couldn't get him, and that's why he ended up calling me. And he said, I just left. Him not too long ago, and I was like, okay, well, he says he cannot move. I don't know what's going on. So he ended up taking him to the urgent care. No, he took him to the emergency room. He took him to the emergency room. Hooked him up to an and, IV, right? Yeah, well, yeah, he was completely dehydrated. Yeah, you with know? fluids. And so we have to think about older people don't sense thirst the way younger people do. And also, he's on medication, and sure. I'm sure some of that medication, you know, takes he loses a lot of water. And so, if you don't know, because by a certain age, my dad is 95, so by a certain age, when you get older people tend not to think about thirst, they tend to think about food, right? Or a piece of candy, or, you know, something sweet, or soda, or anything other than water so you know that fluid loss you know that 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 could be caused by by any kind of medication it's just not diabetes but it could be heart medication that's another one you know it could be something that and my dad had a um he has pacemaker right so because he has a pacemaker and he has a monitor, I don't worry too much about his heart because if something should happen, like, and I'm not around or I'm not available, that alarm will go off and, and they will automatically dispatch someone to the house because it's, it's monitored. But anything else other than that, he, he's like at the, the will of his children. So, yeah, so you can look at when we talked about dehydration, that's one factor, and then you have the low blood pressure as well as any dizziness or confusion. Also, which I knew was always a good indicator, it's an indicator for me, is that if my urine is too dark yellow, you know, it could be your urine is supposed to be so translucent that it almost looks like water. So I got to the point that I was drinking water so that at least when I urinated, I could usually check my, my the levels, you know, the balance, the pH balance, because that pH balance will determine whether you've had enough water in your system or not. And it usually shows up as a yellowish color. So those are just some of the signs. 
Um, yeah, but so all this thing, this thing about eight hours a day, it really depends. It depends on other factors other than, you know, what you may have read or something somebody had on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. And so we go into the next one, um, and we're talking about the cracking of joints, you know, people cracking their knuckles. And so that was at one point, and this was not too long ago, I think it was back in, you know, ever since 2023, people said that cracking your joints could lead to arthritis. But that's not true. That is not true. There is no, there is no evidence out there that cracking your joints leads to arthritis. What happens um, when people crack their joints, uh, crack their knuckles, and they hear that that pop, that crack? It is actually you're pulling the, the you're pulling apart the joint, and there's a bubbles that will get in between the joints, and those bubbles make the sound of a crack. So you can go around and you can crack your knuckles all you want, but it's not going to cause you arthritis. Um, but I was telling you, Jay, that that's what stopped me from even thinking about cracking my knuckles because I was told the lie, right? believe the lie, you know, and assumed that this was all always true. And so I immediately, because I didn't want I didn't want big knuckles, you know, and at the same time, I was afraid of old age and having to worry about arthritis. Well, guess what? It has nothing to do with arthritis. Just know that it's a natural occurrence in the body because of the fact when you crack your knuckles, you're, you're making that air bubble in there, and that's the sound that you hear is that air bubble is actually, has, is characteristic of a cracking sound. Yeah, if that were if if all that were true, Pam, like I said before, when before we got on air, um, I I would have arthritis in both of my right hands now. because I I've cracked my knuckles for a long time. Probably the most the the worst thing about it is it's a bad habit. And it probably irritates people when when you do it. So that's no, probably what. It, maybe that's yeah, why the myth came about because people were irritated with it. Right, because right. it's funny because I would hear somebody, and this was when I was younger. I would hear somebody crack their knuckles, and it got to the point because I broke the habit. Right, it I would just cringe. I'd be like, oh, nails on no. the chalkboard, right? Killing yourself. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have arthritis. You're going to lose your when hands. When you're older, before your age, yeah. before your age. Um, and then there was the, the myth about eggs that are supposed to be bad for the heart. You know, they said that you're not supposed to eat no more than two eggs a day or, you know, or, I'm sorry, two eggs a week. We're not supposed to eat no more than two eggs a week. Well, evidence, research has shown, suggested that if you eat eggs, as many as two eggs a day, it's safe. And the thing is that it's beneficial to avoid risk factors when it comes to heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Because you got to remember that eggs have a lot of protein. And that protein is good for your body, not as well as your cells and your bones. So I just wanted to kind of scan over a few myths and just have a, a quick discussion about that. And Jay, I know you, you found some myths that were pretty interesting. Yeah, and I want to say, you know, the egg thing, also there's a, um, 
don't know if it's a chemical or whatever you want to call it, but it, lutein is in eggs, which is, if, if you believe what you read, is good for your eyes. So that's another good part of eggs that I don't think is widely publicized. Um, but that, that is uh, one of the good things about eating eggs. By the way, yep. I don't eat eggs. So. <laughs> well, here it is. I'm an egg lover, so yeah. I, I love eggs. I, I eat them at least three, four days out of the week. So Yeah, check out the lutein factor, L-U-T-E-I-N. I believe it's a, a really good source of that. So, good um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to talk about um, some mental health myths that are not, you know, Pam and I try to talk about things that aren't widely publicized, and this is one of them, I think. And we've talked about mental health in the past, but um, I've got a couple of things to, to transmit to the listeners today. And I'll talk about depression. This is from Psychology Today, by the way. I didn't make this up. Um, the things that Pam and I talk about, they're from reliable resources when we talk to you guys about this. Um, in addition to our own personal opinions and experiences. So depression is not due exclusively to a chemical imbalance. I don't know, I, I used to hear that, you know, if, if you had a mental illness, it was because your, you, your chemicals were imbalanced, you had an imbalance, whatever that means, right? Chemical and, imbalance of the brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, that's what they used to say, right? Right, right. Yeah, you're imbalanced. You're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So when we're talking about depression, it, it, uh, this article that I read said depression has biological components. It's never purely genetic. Um, like all health issues, depression is biopsychosocial, created and maintained by a combination of factors like biological, um, genetics, neurochemistry, and diet psychological thoughts, emotions, unhealthy coping behaviors, social impacts, and we saw this with COVID, by the way, isolation, divorce, family conflict, and environmental. So poverty, pandemics, um, you know, where you live regionally, they all play a role in depression. It's not just one thing. And the fact that events and situations can trigger and maintain depression means that depression is not a sign of a broken brain, this article says. Lifestyle factors like sleep, nutrition, and exercise, environmental stressors like abuse and a pandemics. There's that terrible word, pandemic. There's that word. Oh, I don't want to hear that word anymore. Um, I'm going to be depressed if I hear the word pandemic anymore, <laughs> I tell you. Well, you know, Jay, we talk about pandemic, and, and we know for a fact that, uh, and we've done the research, that people into, have, during the COVID, people ended up increasing the amount of alcohol and drugs that they were taking during that time. Domestic violence uh, also went up, based on what I've gathered. So domestic, well, as well as pregnancies. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no. I don't want to go there, but thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. What else are we gonna do? Isolated in the house, right? Oh boy. Um, all right. So the the second one is, pain is not purely physical. So this article talks about how pain is something other than something physical. They said in this article, Psychology Today, pain is constructed by multiple brain sites, including your limbic system, 
the brain's emotion center. That's what the limbic system is. This means that pain is both physical and emotional 100% of the time. 100%. Who knew? I didn't know. Um, science indicates that pain is produced and reduced by a combination of biological, cognitive, emotional, behavioral, environmental, and sociological factors. This is uh, from 2018, uh, a group, Mackey and Martucci, uh, had an article about that in Psychology Today. Thoughts, emotions, and coping behaviors always contribute to the pain you feel. Not surprisingly, depression, anxiety, and trauma make pain feel worse. Well, yeah, that makes sense. While treatments targeting both brain and body, like cognitive behavioral therapy, if anybody's heard of CBT before, and biofeedback can help lower pain volume. And I never really thought about it in those terms, but it makes sense. That's true, because I know from the research studies that, that I did, um, that pain itself, that's why they have pain therapy. That's why hospitals now have pain therapists on staff to help people with the pain because um, they could, you could go through surgery and there could be no pain associated with the surgical procedure, like say on an average, right? Nobody, you know, they, they look at how many people experience pain after a particular surgery and it may be something that was not a, like a non-invasive surgery. Um, but people said that they felt pain afterwards and, you know, just like disability cases, you know, the same thing happens, you know, somebody is injured on a job and they will have that, that pain forever. And so, or somebody who even lost a limb and they have what they call phantom pain. They have a pain in the leg that is no longer there. Well, how many times have you talked to people and and you find out that someone's got a high pain threshold, right? Um, some person is just, you know, I, I powered through, it was okay, and then you talk to another person with the same exact thing, and they were like, I was bedridden for two weeks, right? right. And you have to so believe- you don't know who to believe. <laughs> well, you, ha you have to believe that some people are more, maybe they've got a more positive outlook, maybe they're more optimistic, maybe the mental part of whatever they had or, you know, suffered, they dealt with it differently. And so, yeah, yeah. that's a, a lot of has to do with people's mindset going in yeah, as well as, as what happens coming out because you can, people can be sympathetic and you know, this. people can be sympathetic to what you're going through and they can say things that could acerbate the problem. Well, how many how many times I just have to ask this? How many times have you talked to someone and they say, "Oh, he or she is such a baby. Why don't they just get up? Why don't they just get up and walk it off?" And you know, right. it's, it's like right. they, they've only got a cold. I you know worked at a construction site with uh, the flu, you know, and I had no problems. I came home and I was fine. So yeah, it is. It yeah. is a. a mind-body response. Yeah. It is definitely a mind-body response. So the, uh, the next article that I read, which I thought was very interesting, from Medical News Today, people with mental health conditions cannot work. Boy, oh boy, we, I think we both know that that's not true. 
Because I think we have both worked with plenty of people who had mental health conditions. I'm yes, just indeed. saying. So here's, here's the facts if you believe medical news today. It is true that someone living with a particularly severe mental health condition might be unable to carry out regular work. However, the majority of people with mental health issues can be as productive as individuals without mental health disorders. And I tell you what, um, where I currently work, there uh, is uh, a group that provides janitorial services where the folks who do those jobs are developmentally disabled and they do have some mental health um, issues. And they come into work and they do their job and they're pretty darn productive. So just in case anyone has any ideas that that is not possible. Um, this article says that a study published in 2014 investigated employment status according to mental illness severity. The study found that employment rates decreased with increasing mental illness severity. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? How, however, almost 55% of individuals with severe conditions were employed compared with 70, almost 76% of people without a mental illness. I'm not, I, I'm just saying, um, okay, all right. Um, almost 70% of people with mild mental illness and almost 63% of people with moderate mental illness. So folks, if the reason why you're not employed is because you have a mental illness, that's just not going to fly. I'm sorry, unless you are, you know, have severe mental, you know, issues that prevent you from going. And some people do, by the way, some people do. Um, and then <laughs> when the researchers looked at the effect of age, they found that the employment gap between people with mental health condition and those without widened with advancing age. In people aged 18 to 25 years, the difference in employment rates between those with and without a serious mental illness was just 1%. But in the 50 to 64 bracket, the gap was 21%. So that also uh, makes sense. And so the last one that I'm gonna touch on here, Pam, has to do with mental health in general. You know, I think we grew up, we both grew up in a, um, in a time in the 60s, 70s, and 80s where mental health was so taboo to even talk about mental health was just like, you don't talk about it. You go see somebody, you go see a therapist. I don't wanna know about it. I don't wanna hear about it because it was such a, a you know, forbidden thing. Well, mental health problems are not a sign of weakness. They absolutely are not. Mental health disorders are illnesses, just like you get a cold, just like you have other physical conditions. And we talked about this in a couple of our other podcasts, by the way. Um, people with, for instance, depression cannot snap out of it any more than someone with diabetes or psoriasis can immediately recover from their condition but they can be treated, right? And just like you are trying to get treated for a heart ailment or diabetes, it requires strength, just like getting treated for a mental illness. Um, so you do, I don't know if anybody is familiar with having a mental illness, but when you go to a therapist, you that treatment doesn't mean you just sit there and hope that things go away. I right. mean, you have you have to make an effort. It's not right. it's not someone waving a magic wand over you and all of a sudden it's gone. 
you actually have to be strong and do the work and make changes. So that that's what I've got for mental um, mental health, Pam. That's good, Jay, because um, you touched on some points because of the fact that mental illness has been seen in the past as a you know, it's taboo and mental illness and, and, and has placed a stigma on people thinking that they're incapable of doing a particular job or, you know, you don't put them, you know, you don't put them in certain environments where they have to work. You kind of isolate them. Um, but you and I have both seen um, people who have been in relatively good paying positions. High functioning. Right. High functioning. High functioning. I'm just and saying. And you know, and you know for a fact, just over time, that you have observed that they have a mental deficiency. I'm not going to say an illness, a, a mental deficiency. Maybe in the way they process information, maybe the way they convey information. Um, and so you recognize it, but at the same time, they do a great job, you know, uh, when they need to produce. So... Yeah. I have to agree with that. Yeah. That's interesting. Good, good, good job. Well, listeners, we're going to Jay, I'm gonna to come to you on the on this trivia question. So what is the heaviest organ in the human body? Okay, folks. So LiveScience.com, which is where we came up with a question about the heaviest organ in the body, indicates that Wait for it. The skin is the heaviest organ in the body, right? So it's the largest organ in the body, and we talked about that in a uh, previous podcast. It's the biggest and it's the heaviest. So in this article that I read, it said some sources indicate that adults carry an average of eight pounds of skin while other sources say that the skin makes up 16% of an adult's total body weight, which would suggest that 170 pound adults skin would weigh about 27 pounds. Now, just thinking about... <laughs> you mean I can, I can deduct, if I, just, if I just deduct the skin that's on my body, I could be at my perfect weight? <laughs> oh, you and me both. But listen, you know, if you think about this, this article and what it's saying, and you think about the differences in people's height and weight and the amount of skin that they have or say they lost weight and they only have skin left because of all the weight they lost. I have to believe that their skin weighs way more than, literally way, <laughs> weighs more yeah. than your skin or my skin. So, but the skin covers such a large area of the body. I, it makes sense that it would be the heaviest, I think. Maybe I can reduce my weight by 16%. So that <laughs> <laughs> when I'm on the scale and say, okay, this is really what I weigh, the rest of this is just skin, right? Uh, that's, a, that's, you know, that's a good that's approach. Funny. I like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's, that's so, totally, completely interesting, especially about the percentage of, of weight in the human body, adult human body. That's amazing. Yeah, who knew, right? Yes. Why yes, would anyone yes. even think about it to begin with? But that's why we have these trivia questions because that's true. You're not going to you <laughs> listeners. You are not going to hear half of the stuff me and Jay talk about on television. We have 
we have delved into stuff just out of curiosity. I don't know if it's out of curiosity or just our brain thinks this way. Like, okay, they they you'll hear something on the news, and next thing you know, her and I are going down a rabbit hole to try to find something that's related, but at the same time is never reported. So on that note, listeners, I'm going to say farewell until next time. Join PB and Jay for another episode of PBJ Connection. This will not be televised.